Welcome to Training Unleashed, the show that will help you design and deliver training that's off the chain and will make a difference. Now, here's your host, Evan Hackle. Hello, everyone, to I think it's going to be an especially good episode of Training Unleashed. We have an amazing guest with us today. But before we do, I just want to thank you for listening. And I want to thank the C-Suite Network for C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV. Without your support, we couldn't make this happen. Um, our guest today is Meredith Bell. She is the president of Performance Support Systems. And in reading her briefing, she says like 50 to 70% of all training is ineffective. And I'd like to know why she thinks that, because we're all into training. And, and by the way, I agree too. So after she shares her answer, I'm going to share my answer. Go right ahead, Meredith. Why is so much training ineffective? Well, thank you, Evan. It's great to be here. And actually, the statistic is even worse than what you said. It's somewhere between 70 and 90%. And this has been shown over years, multiple times. And in fact, books have been written about why training doesn't stick when people go back on the job. And it's the same answer all across the board with all these different books. It's the lack of follow-up afterwards, because a lot of times people are sent to training and it's more of an event. And even if the person conducting the training is the most dynamic, charismatic, engaging presenter, and people even get a chance to role play and practice during the training, when they go back on the job, they are hit in the face with all the things that were going on before they left. They're playing catch up. And so when they encounter a situation where they could use that new skill, they automatically revert back to what they did before. And there's a scientific reason for that. And it's because the brain has not had a chance to rewire itself for that new behavior. Anytime we create a habit or a behavior pattern that's comfortable for us that we do automatically, it's actually hardwired in the brain. There are connections that make, and then there's this protective coating, if you will, called myelin that sort of seals the deal. And so you have got this automatic way of doing things. When you go to a training class, if that old way is, think of it as sort of a super highway, and for most of the skills people go to for training, like in leadership development, learning how to be a more effective listener, you already come to that training class with a way of doing it. It's not like you're a blank slate and you're learning a brand new technical skill. So your new way of, of doing it competes with that old way, which is so much more comfortable. So think of the old way as a super highway and now you've gotten on a dirt road or a gravel road and it's going to be a bumpy ride. And in fact, it'll be uncomfortable to the point that you want to flip back over to the old way of doing it because that's how you normally do it. So what is required is, a sh is the practice and the follow-up. So I love what you're saying, and I have thoughts on the same topic, but I'm going to hold my thoughts off so that we can complete this. Um, so are you referring to neuro-linguistic pathways? When yes. You when you talk about 
sort of old muscle memory. Yes. So the, these things are difficult to break. I mean, I think you really nailed it and that somebody cannot be aha and they get it in the training and then they immediately revert back to themselves because this, this happens in our lives all over the time. You know, how many times have we started? I'm not, I'm speaking for myself. I'm not speaking for you, those that are listening and not watching. She's extremely fit and skinny, but how many times <laughs> I've, you know, decided I'm going to change my diet forever. I'm not going on a diet. I'm just going to change how I eat. And then I get right back into those bad pathways. It's the same. So how do we break these pathways? You know, what do you do to, to, to land the training and make that kind of really systemic shift in our ways of being? Mm -hmm. There are a number of elements that go into to creating that sustainability. And, and I'll just tell you one quick example uh, of what, his, what someone told me who uses one of our software tools. He said he was a retired executive from a Fortune 500 company. And over the past 30 years or more, he had attended multiple trainings, lots of trainings. Never once, he said, was there follow-up. There was always the assumption made that they would use it. And so I just want to emphasize that, that it's the, the lack of follow-up. So what does follow-up look at like, to your point? First of all, there is the knowledge of the person's manager about what skills were taught there. So there should be agreement before they ever go to training about what is going to be learned. And then there's support for practicing afterwards. Ideally, there's at least one accountability coach. It may be someone who was in the training. They don't need to hire a bunch of coaches to come in for people following training, but there's got to be some process put in place where people are meeting regularly, either you know by phone, um, by platform like this, or in person, um, not by text, because we want to have these connections with real people, where there is a structured process for talking about, okay, what did I say I was going to do? What commitment did I make? Did I do it? If not, what did I do instead? And if I did, how did it go? And get support and encouragement from the other person in addition to accountability. And you know, Evan, another key element of this is feedback. Marshall Goldsmith talks about this in his book, um, What Got You Here Won't Get You There. And it's, it's really true. Getting, finding out from your stakeholders, the people who interact with you, are you seeing me make improvements? And what suggestions do you have for my doing it even more effectively. So that we are holding ourselves accountable for doing this. Making a public commitment is always a powerful way um, to let people know, here's what I'm working on. Because everybody's busy doing their own thing too. They notice when you're not performing the behavior well, but they may not be paying attention to when you're working hard to do it well. And so asking for them to, give you input is another way of that whole accountability piece being in place. You know, I, I'm going to give you my quote, which is from Tom Peters, which is harder to unlearn than it is to learn. So it's much easier to train people on something that's blue sky that they know nothing about than that's it is right. to untrain them into, into a new habit. Um, so I want to just 
you know, share sort of my insight on why training doesn't work. Uh, and I see a couple things. One, management doesn't deem it worthy for themselves. So they train their staff, but management doesn't take the same training themselves. So even if they follow up, they don't even know what to follow up on because they, they are oblivious because they are quote unquote too busy. The other reason I think that training doesn't work is many companies are very stingy on training. So my son just literally started a job with a large retailer. I will leave their name. I, I will leave their name nameless. And, you know, the first day they get, he gets to the job, he has five hours of consecutive e-learning, five hours in a room by himself doing e-learning. And there's no, uh, there's no like show and tell and, you know, there's no, you know, so when we do e-learning for companies, we encourage them it to be interactive and that there's a place where they validate, you know, with a manager, they demonstrate and the manager goes into the e-learning and says, yeah, this person, this person knows how to do that. Um, and, and to, and to prove, and to prove the knowledge. So they, so they condense it. They don't, they don't spend the money because maybe it would take more days to train my son if they spread it out, if they did the validation, they don't want to spend the money to do that. And then I said, well, because uh, he actually has worked for me before. So he's pretty adverse to what good e-learning is. And he said, you know, they had some classes that were really good, but he said a lot of them were just watching PowerPoint. And, you know, which is just, just miserable. Um, and the, you know, the whole name of the show, by the way, Training Unleashed, is the idea that companies undervalue training. And when you unleash training and you do it right and you do it well, you have a massive impact on the growth, the profitability of, of the company. Mm -hmm. and, um, and when you put people out there that are not properly trained, which is why you're point that you're making of the follow-up, making sure they demonstrate them, the reminder, the consistency, I, I think you're, 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 you're dead on. Um, I want to shift the conversation now because this is, I think, been a great conversation and now move into communication a little bit and how training can be properly communicated, how you can get buy-in and support throughout the organization, et cetera. And I'm going to leave that pretty wide open for you to let you go anywhere you want. Oh, thank you. Well, you know, I think the biggest thing companies have that do invest in development for people, you know, they're doing it in the right spirit. We want to invest in our people so they can grow. But sometimes they don't ask first and they make assumptions about what should be covered. And uh, to me, whether you're doing a formal survey or you're sitting down and just interviewing a representative number of people to find out, you know, what are the biggest stumbling blocks we have around here to performance for, you know, what's preventing people from getting their work done. And if they're focusing on the development of managers, you know, what is it that your manager could do better to help you get your job done? And you're going to get an earful if people feel like they can be open and honest about it, if it's a, an anonymous survey, they typically will. If they have trust built up with the person who's asking the questions, they, they could be open. But I think that's the key for determining what are the things we need to cover 
uh, and help people learn to do. And by the way, you mentioned something a little bit ago around the assessments at the end of your, not your, but these e-learning programs. There's a huge difference in knowing and doing. And too often e-learning systems only assess knowledge. And so they're asking questions that the person can demonstrate. Yeah, I know about that, but there's never an assessment of, can you do that well on the job? Yeah, you see in our e-learning system, uh, we actually provide that tool. Perfect. And so there's a point in the lesson where a manager, they have to go do an assessment for the manager who has to observe them doing what's working well and then check that off before they can continue on to the next step. Um, and so it, it's, it's really, uh, I think to your point, really important because it's one thing, you know, you, you take a, you know, you take a course for 10 minutes who can't remember for 10 minutes, although right. sometimes I can't, <laughs> but, uh, but, uh, you know, and you're filling out the questionnaire, you're not demonstrating, demonstrating the knowledge, mm -hmm. um, and that, you know, doing is the way you break the neural pathways and the way you, things, you, but it's not doing just once it's, it, it's, following up consistently. Yes, exactly. In fact, we have a whole process, Evan, that we call focus action reflection, where if you follow that process and repeat it, that's where you are rewiring the brain to strengthen those connections so the new ones become the more comfortable way. And so I why think don't you one take, the, why don't you take time and explain those three steps? Sure, sure. And this ties back to your question related to you know organizing a training program. Sometimes you want to be so comprehensive and cover so many things, it's overwhelming for people. So a company would do well to think about these three aspects also in designing training programs. So the first one is focus. What's the one skill? that you want to improve on in the coming weeks and months. And once you identify that skill, another aspect of focus is, all right, so what specifically could I do that would help me improve in this? Then you go to action where you apply it. You look for opportunities to use it. And um, so those are two important steps. But the third one is what a lot of people miss. And there's simply pressure in the workday to not take time for it. And that is to reflect, to mm. pause and ask yourself some questions about how did it go? And I'll tell you and your listeners these exact questions. They're not hard. They just take a few minutes to answer. And that is what helps you then take the next action and be more effective. So the first question actually has two parts. What happened? So you're getting at kind of the left brain sequential aspect of it. And then how did I feel about it? So, you're... so let, let's talk about how I feel about it. Okay. Because I think, you know, everyone kind of gets what happened. You know, what mm -hmm. did I do? What was different? I've never heard anybody in training say, how do I feel about it? And my first instinct is, this is brilliant. So I, I want you to, I want you to, I want you to, to really take a moment and talk about what, what it means and why it's so important. All right. And I'll do it with an, an, a personal example. Perfect. How's that? Okay. I was at a conference 
where a group of us were gathered the evening before the actual conference started. We each had an opportunity to introduce ourselves. We had about a minute to do it. And I thought about what I wanted to say. And then afterwards, if someone heard something you say and was you know, interested in it, they would follow up and come talk to you. So everybody went around, we introduced ourselves. And after I did it, as soon as I did it, I knew I didn't do it well. <laughs> Nobody came over and talked to me. So I had evidence <laughs> that I didn't do it well. So I felt pretty crummy about it. And what happened was I started running this loop in my head negative self-talk about what I had done and why I had done it. So how I felt about it is a key aspect of reminding us, gosh, I really do need to process this because otherwise I am going to spend way too much time, unproductive time, rehashing this in my mind. And each time I do it, I'm going to feel worse about myself. So um, the flip side of that is if it went well to reinforce the good things I did is, you know, a good thing to pay attention to. So how I felt about it is really important. Tortle Training's Learning Matter experts are passionate about designing effective solutions that move the needle. Whether your organization needs development of e-learning courses, instructor-led training, or assistance with creating optimized electronic versions of employee handbooks, our team can help. To learn more, Visit tortle.com slash learning dash development. You know, I really, I really love that. And I, I also would say that when people start feeling good about something they've done, that's a change, you're more likely to build that habit because you're winning the mental, the mental mind, the, the mental battle of you know, I don't like change, <laughs> mm -hmm. um, which, which, which is, which is interesting. Yes. So then after you've kind of gotten in touch with those two things, then you look at why did it happen that way? What, you know, why did I say what I did or why did they say what they did? You know, what, what was behind it? What was the motivation? What was the driver for what, what occurred? And then the third question is, well, then what kind of outcome did I get? How do I feel about the outcome? Did it, did it turn out the way I hoped it would or not? And, um, and then you look at, well, what could I do differently next time so I get a better result if I'm in a similar situation? And the final step is just, well, what's next? Is there a step I can take in the next 48 hours in terms of looking for opportunities to use this skill again. So the overall takeaway is, wow, I learned something from this. I took away the lessons so that when I am encountering another situation, I've got that to draw from. That processing that I did is gonna serve me well in this next situation. So, so, so let's talk practicality. Mm -hmm. How often should a person do this? And should it be initiated by a manager that says, you know, Meredith, you know, would you, you know, here's the list of questions, go take some quiet time and answer these questions. I mean, how, how does it really work? Yes, I, I love that question, because there are all kinds of ways it can work. I know one manager who learned these questions and used them so often, 
herself for situations she encountered. She did it kind of real time. So it, it didn't take long. She also learned to use them with her direct reports. So this is a huge insight for managers. And by the way, for parents, when somebody does something, if they make a mistake or something didn't go the way they hoped, instead of jumping in with advice and solutions, if you can just ask these questions and you don't have to get hung up on, oh, did I do this one right? It's very, you know, simple structure. Well, tell me about what happened, you know? And then, well, why do you think it turned out that way? What, what was behind that? And um, what was the outcome? Was it what you hoped for? And I mean, sometimes they tell you that up front. Gee, so-and-so is really mad at me. And so you, you don't have to go through a specific sequence. So the bottom line is you're trying to help yourself and others learn from what happens in the workplace or what happens at home or what happens with their friends. It's a, a really valuable tool. And it's even more powerful when you write it down. That incident I shared about the conference, when I got back to my hotel room <clears throat> and I could feel myself you know, falling into this loop, I thought I need to get let go of this or I'm gonna be robbing myself of the rest of the conference, you know, enjoying that by berating myself for what I didn't do or didn't say right. So I cut out a sheet of paper and I know these questions. So I just wrote down the answers and I could breathe again, you know, and say, all right, I've, I've got it. I know what I want to do in the future. And so I was able to let it go and then move on with enjoying the rest of the conference. I think that's a key thing for people to learn from experiences. And when they're trying to learn a new skill to really get that process done. And it doesn't have to be, you know, I, I got the sense from your question, you know, how do you make time for this? It doesn't have to take a lot of time. And I think people who are in a managerial role can role play this with others in terms of doing real-time processing about themselves and their own mistakes, but also helping other people do that kind of processing in a short period of time. So what's going through my head right now is a question that maybe my, I think my listeners might be asking. Okay. So what I hear you're saying, I see working really well with mid-managers, higher managers, but how about the people that are on the front trenches, the people working in the store, the people that are you know, telephone operators, the people working in the factory, the people that are doing more, um, uh, ta you know, task-oriented, not thinking-oriented work that aren't afforded. You know, if you're working in an assembly line, you're not afforded a lot of think time. Mm -hmm. um, so how do you take this concept and apply it uh, to people that are doing, you know, more tactical work in the organization? Well, I still think that we can look at taking even five minutes when somebody has made a mistake, we don't want them to keep making that same mistake. So it's like any other performance issue that someone observes, then it's an opportunity to help that person learn from what happened. So it's more in how you use that time when you need to sit down with someone. One approach is to correct them and say, you know, you're not supposed to do it that way. You know, you've got to do it this way. You got it now, <laughs> you, know, you can take that approach. 
which then the person feels it's like very, that's know, a very popular approach. I Ineffective, know. but very and popular. I know. Think about how you feel when someone talks to you that way. Not good. Even kids don't like being talked that way, you know, to, by their parents. So if you just think I'm going to use a different approach this time, I'm going to ask questions to learn and help them learn rather than me telling them. We all learn and it sticks better. And this is where that rewiring comes in when we process things ourselves. And so when we get somebody that can ask us a couple of questions, you know, honestly, Evan, when you think about the long-term positive benefits of doing this and you're teaching people to do it for themselves, it's sort of preventative is the way I look at it. So when we say, oh, I don't have time to do that, or these people don't have time to do that, that's a belief you're holding about, you know, the way things are that to me needs to be reevaluated because so it's a story. I want to tie this all together. Yes. Because this is what I think if I take this whole thing and tie it into a bow, is that all training needs to be thought through with follow-up. That's really where we began. Yes. Right. And that if you do training and then you set aside time. So if I go to you, Meredith, whatever the training is and just say in two days, Meredith, we're going to get together and I want to see what your experience was and how you feel about the new training. And we're going to do it in two days and then we're going to do it in a week so that we can see the improvement and how you're feeling about the training and I can support you through the process. Then the learner is going to know a couple of things. One, they need to do this because someone is going to ask them. So it's not like they can just hide and go back to their old habits. And two, then you get the opportunity to really debrief them or ask them to debrief themselves and then share their learning. That's kind of what I'm hearing from you. Is that that bring true? Yes, that's absolutely true. Having some expectations set up front it causes the person to be in a different place when they're going through the learning. If they know, hey, I'm going to need to come back. And something you said made me think of another great idea for follow-up. It may have even been an ep one of your earlier episodes where if you require somebody to actually teach that skill to someone else, then that causes it to stick better in the mind of the person who is the initial learner and then helps them with teaching other people. And so the whole process is one of expansion and agreement. So everybody is operating from the same understanding of how we're supposed to do things around here. Yeah. So shifting gears a little bit, let's talk about the why, because I think this is a, a forgotten piece and you really touched on this earlier where we tell people to take the training but we don't tell them why or what the result is. You know, are we trying to improve customer satisfaction, net promoter scores? Are we trying to increase sales? Are we trying to reduce defects? And, and letting people understand the impact of what they're doing in a way they can see themselves contributing. And how do you see the why in terms of importance and, 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 and how to implement? Well, it's very critical. And I think that if, if an organization has done some kind of front-end analysis where they've you know, gotten input 
in whatever form they've done that says, here are the needs. They need to communicate that to people in advance and say, we are going to be offering this program in response to what you're telling us we need to improve across the organization. So that helps to get buy-in because people feel like they're listening to us. And so I think that's huge. And then to make it personal, you know, what, what will be the benefit to you if you learn to be better at ABC skills and get them to think about that and even be able to articulate it at the beginning of the training? You know, what is it you hope to get out of this? Why do you feel this is important to your work? And if somebody is struggling with answering that, well, there's a red flag for you. You need to oh, pursue that a little bit because that's going to really impact how they what they bring of themselves to the training, where their mind is. So I think before we jump in too much into delivering content, it's getting, getting the assurance that people understand why they are there. So there's a personal aspect to it and an organizational aspect. And I, I would add to that something you said earlier too, which is to involve the learners in the discussion about the training before you do the training, mm -hmm. or you even build the training. Mm -hmm. because if I'm a learner and I know why, and I know that other people like me encouraged this to happen and supported this, I'm much more open to it than just if I thought this is, you know, management peering down at me and, mm -hmm. and giving it the, the blessing without really knowing the real world. Yes. So Mer Meredith, we could talk forever. <laughs> And I've got, you know, a whole bunch of other things, but we don't have time. But what I think our listeners would really love to know is about your company and what you do, and what kind of customers and how you help people. Because I, I know that you got you, you know, if somebody's listening and this is resonating, you're the type of person they probably want to speak to. That's uh, great. So please tell us. Okay. Well, we are a software company, so we've created tools to help with the assessment and development of people in the organizations. That's what we are all about. And so we have a, a survey tool that can be used for 360 feedback, for team assessment on the effectiveness of a team and even organization-wide. So that's one piece to help people find out what do we need to focus on or how is this particular individual doing and what could they, what are their strengths and what do they need to improve? And then we have an online coaching and development tool that incorporates many of the elements that I talked about today, the focus, action, reflection, having a support coach. And then we've also got a couple of books that people could get either individually or to use in their organizations. One is called Connect With Your Team, Mastering the Top 10 Communication Skills. And this is something I co-authored with my business partner of 30 years, Denny Coates, because we wanted to bring together and reach lots of people because we know, and you know this, Evan, a core element of problems in organizations is around communication or miscommunication. Absolutely. And so that was a key reason we wrote this book. And a companion book is called Peer Coaching Made Simple, which can be used with the communications book to put people in partners to support each other as they're trying to make these improvements. So it sounds like you're the perfect company to go to, to help people really understand the front end, mm -hmm. to really get to what is needed to validate that, 
and to get corporate buy-in and, and understand the communication of that and, and then work with companies to help execute and, 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 and uh, implement. Mm -hmm. am, I, am I saying this right? Yes, we have the front end piece. We also have a development piece that's a one-year subscription called Strong for Performance that helps people with their development in the communication skills in particular. Yeah. So Meredith, before I go to the next question, I'm going to build a question in here if I can. You know, we have, we just launched a book club for the, the Trending Unleashed group. And our first book is Radical Candor uh, by uh, Kim Scott's great book. I don't know if you've ever had a chance to read it. I have not. It sounds great. Oh, she, it's, her concept's great. And the amount of true coaching she gives fantastic. But there was a, a debate and it was kind of interesting in her book. It's almost like she's debating with herself about 360s about whether 360s are anonymous or 360s are not anonymous, that you, you know everybody and what, and what they're saying. And she was sort of going back and forth and back and forth. And she, she basically came down ultimately with that they should not be anonymous, uh, which is exactly the opposite of how I've ever done a 360 every time I've given them. And I, I'm not saying she's right or wrong. In fact, she was clearly anguished about the subject. A, a little bit because she thought that there could be more candor if it was anonymous, but at the same token, if it was transparent, it would be um, easier for someone to speak to that person and better understand and get more feedback. Um, so I'm just curious where you come down on 360s in terms of anonymity or not. Oh, I, I love that question. And honestly, there's a way to kind of do it in a blended way. <clears throat> we typically recommend that the 360 survey be anonymous. And, um, and part of the answer, honestly, Evan, is how much trust there is in the organization. If there are a lot of issues around you know, managers and those are the people that are receiving the feedback, <clears throat> people are going to be afraid to be honest for negative repercussions. You know, uh, somebody trying to find out who said what and and that sort of thing. So we recommend that part of the actual survey be anonymous. But then after the manager gets the results, and I'm using manager very generically, it could be anybody. Yeah. But they sit down with those people who gave them the feedback and share. Here's what I learned. Here are the strengths you said I had, and I'm going to really leverage them. Here are areas for development. <clears throat> this one was a blind spot for me. I, I had no idea this was a problem. So I need more information. And if any of you have any kind of input that could be helpful for me right now, I would really value it. And that's where people can obviously not anonymously share. Well, you know, you embarrass this person when you said such and such. You know, there are different ways than you can draw out. So you're really and giving you're giving people an opportunity. Yes. So if they feel brave, depending again and safe of what the environment's like, they'll speak up. Otherwise, they'll just kind of sit there looking around. But another aspect that can be important in this dialogue is for that manager to say, and you know, here's something that was brought up that. I believe strongly in my heart 
is not something I should change. And they can explain why. So there's a key element of bonding, team building that can go on when there's this interpersonal component after the initial assessment and report has been given. So that's where, to me, the non-anonymous piece can best come in. Very cool. Very cool. So we are over time, but we still we get the final two questions for sure. Uh, the first one is, I know that you have offers. What are the offers and how do people, uh, how to get, how do they Sure. Ask? Well, our website is growstrongleaders.com. And our special offer is if they do forward slash uh, training unleashed. So basically remembering your podcast name and it's growstrongleadersplural.com at slash training unleashed. <clears throat> they can also learn more about our books and our, our programs there. And the two things, actually there are three. One is a quiz they can take that helps them assess how well they interact with their team members and others, how they perceive others as interacting. Then we have a free ebook based on the first chapter of our book called Listen Like a Pro. And the third one is a call with me to just, you know, Find out is any of our um, are any of our books or our products a good fit for your organization and be of help in any way I can because I believe in being of service to others. I can tell that from our conversation. You've been really a great guest. We're not done yet though. Every, no. we, always, we always end with if you had one tip to share, what would that tip be? You know, Evan. <clears throat> I want to just encourage people to rethink how they think about feedback, especially receiving feedback. If they think of it truly as a gift where somebody has mustered up the courage to tell them something that's bothering them, no matter how awkwardly they may say it, but to be gracious in thanking the person and apologizing if that's necessary and asking what it is they'd like you to do differently going forward and or how you can even make it right if it's been something that's very upsetting to the other person because all of those elements go into giving the other person permission to come to you again in the future so it opens the door to real communication real bonding and a strengthening of the relationship i love that tip i'm a big believer in feedback uh, feedback is a gift, uh, a real gift. And part of the book, Radical Candor, talks about the importance of feedback mm -hmm. uh, and people accepting it and appreciating it. Um, so I think your tip is fantastic. You've been a great guest. Thank I want to thank the audience. I mean, without you, I don't have a podcast. Uh, I, just as a personal note, uh, more and more I hear from people. And for me, that's really gratifying. Uh, I also want to thank my friends at the C-Suite, C-Suite Radio and C-Suite TV, and also uh, want to encourage all of you to go to our website, trainingunleash.net. It's completely redone. Uh, sign up so you get notified of all of our great new guests and uh, consider signing up for the book club. It's free and it's fun. Everyone have a great day. Training Unleashed is brought to you by Total Training, specializing in e-learning and interactive online training solutions for corporate, government, nonprofit, and franchise organizations. Tortal makes effective training easier. Just go to tortal.net to gain access to real-world tools that can make a difference. 
That's tortal.net. T-O-R-T-A-L. Tortal.net. This podcast is a part of the C-Suite Radio Network. For more top business podcasts, visit c-suiteradio.com.